Welcome to the next podcast from Millinery Info. I'm your host, Lauren Ritchie. Thank you for joining me today for this episode with Stephanie Spencer. Stephanie is the winner of the 2020 My Millinery Awards. She joins us today to share about making the winning piece and what it's like to work from her studio in Collingwood, Melbourne. Thank you to our wonderful podcast sponsors for making this episode possible. Be Unique Millinery, Haddis Millinery Supplies, the Millinery Association of Australia, Catherine Cherry Millinery, Hat Academy, The Essential Hat, Hat Atelier, Louise McDonald Milliner, That Millinery, House of Adorn, Lifted Millinery, and Hat Mags. You can find a link to each of their businesses in our show notes, either through your podcast app or on our website. If you have been enjoying listening to this podcast series, there's a few ways which you could show your support. You could become a Patreon podcast sponsor or supporter by going to www.patreon.com forward slash millinery info to find out more or sign up. Another way you could show your support is by sharing your favorite episode with a friend. I love making these podcasts and I hope you enjoyed this episode. you so much for joining me to talk hats today Stephanie. Um, you're the winner of this year's 2020 Millinery Award for Flemington Racecourse. Um, congratulations um, and let's let's start with that piece. Could you tell us a little bit about it? Hi uh, thank you for having me. Um, my piece for the 2020 Millinery Award is essentially a pair of point shoes uh, built to scale sit atop your head. Um, they're very vertical and uh, made from parasizal and they have got ribbons of ginseng that swirl all around them. It's a beautiful piece and we'll share some photos on our website and our socials of them. How did you come up with the point shoe concept? Um, that's a good question. I essentially don't really know but I kind of do in a bit of a way it probably doesn't make any sense at all um in all fairness I was uh just standing in my kitchen doing my dishes one night thinking about um concepts and ideas and objects around me and um I thought oh yeah that's that does sound like a that sounds like a pretty looks like a pretty good idea that's a yeah I like that um bear in mind we were in the deep dark depths of uh, eight months of Melbourne lockdown and I was thinking about all of the things that uh, were going on around me and all of the things that I was missing and all of the things as a community we were maybe pining for um, and nothing was really uh, making sense and everything seemed a little bit wayward and upside down and I kind of thought the concept of um, uh, an upside down hat, which was essentially really surreal, which was something that we were all experiencing at the time as well, um, was a really kind of interesting concept. Um, additionally, I um, have been dancing as a just as a hobby um, for the past eight years or so, and it's um, just this really nice thing that I like to go to and see my friends and you know, you can kind of sweat the week out and um, it was 
it, that was something I was really missing during lockdown. And I thought uh, point shoes were a really nice way to kind of encapsulate that. And they were a really lovely emblem and symbol of what dancing is really. That's beautiful. And how did you create, because they are physical point shoes, how did you create that amazing shape? In lockdown, we couldn't just pop to the shops. Um, nothing was open. So that came with its own, with its extra kind of uh, difficulties. Um, so I found a pair of point shoes on Facebook Marketplace and had them sent to me. Then I kind of just rummaged around my studio um, for materials. I decided that I didn't want to buy anything new unless I really, really had to. Um, so I pulled apart a lot of bits and pieces that I had and projects that I'd started even up to kind of like three, four years ago. Most, the most difficult thing I think to begin with, obviously, was making the block um, and you can't really just buy a pair of ballet shoes hat block. Um, <laughs> so I kind of sat on that for a couple of weeks and um, I ordered, I got some paper clay from Bunnings, click and collect. And um, my housemate works in costume for Disney and we're constantly uh, bouncing ideas off each other and creating pro creative problems, problem solving, pardon me. And I said, I need something really squishy and pliable and something that I can mould the shoes out of that I can then cover in paper clay. And she goes, why don't you just use alfoil? And I was like, that is a brilliant idea. Sophie, you're so clever. Um, so, yeah, uh, moulded that, not directly off the shoe, but just kind of just from sight. Um, and then uh, covered the block with layers and layers of he really heavy-duty um, woodworking glue which proved to be really successful. So, yeah. Um, how far out from the competition did you, did this start to come together for you? Uh, well, the competition was only announced, I think six weeks before, um, before kind of it, it eventuated. So there wasn't a huge um, amount of time to not do anything about it. Um, I had I'd come up with the idea a few months back, and I um, just scribbled on a note in my in my studio wall, um, um, uh, and it's just like ballet shoes with like exclamation points. Um, so I knew if it eventuated this year that that would be something that um, I wanted to create. So how did you go about constructing these shoe essentially? I really wanted to honor the construction of the point shoes, so I broke down. The components um, and thought about how I could repurpose my materials for each part. Uh, there's an exterior of paracisal. The lining is made from paracisal as well. Different, they're different capillines, and um, the interior is like a slightly different pink shade, which I thought was really lovely and created a, a very subtle but nice contrast. Um, they needed to be as light as possible. Uh, so there is a support of Paris net just between each layer. The sole is blocked from uh, Paris again with a support of buckram and 
um, there is a suede exterior from of the sole, pardon me. And to finish the piece, I made a bias binding um, to finish the edge of the shoes. That's made from silk with a very fine wadding. And um, that's quite a, because it was ended up being so, so fine. How did the wadding go around that shape? That would have been quite a stitching challenge. Yeah, well, I'd originally put the binding on and you could see the texture of the straw. And I just thought, this is not going to cut it. <laughs> so took it back off, um, stretched the wadding really finely, um, based it on and then put the binding back over and it just had this really nice subtle volume about it and then you had your shaped I'm gonna my, say ribbons my ginseng that I'd um shaped uh, and then these you know the swells that would come up the the ribbons of the points quite nice I, I just really wanted to create this um uh sense of movement to have the ribbons really encompassing this kind of sense of uh, freedom that you get when you're dancing. That's beautiful. And had you entered the competition before? I had. Um, I've entered twice and I haven't, I, I'd never placed at all, like I even um, made it past a final. Um, I never thought I would win this competition. Um, I work in quite a detailed and intricate way and I think that that can be really difficult to translate um, in a piece for competition. I just think the circumstances that uh, we had this year um, worked in my favour because I had the time that I could dedicate to the piece, which is something that, um, you know, in past years just doesn't happen. So I think that that was an asset. I really just could go and sit in my studio for hours and hours and think about the best approach for the next step. I think you've half stole my next question. I was going to ask um, if this was a, I'm going to say a normal year, quote unquote, um, is this, uh, do you think this is a piece you would have made anyway for the competition or this was specifically probably a COVID piece? Um, well, I came up with the concept during COVID, but when I, when I thought about it, I kind of, I knew it was a strong concept. So if the, if the competition hadn't eventuated this year, then I would have, you know, kept it for next year. But um, yeah, it just, it made sense for this year. Um, yeah. And, you know, I was, I was kind of honouring the, the interesting time that we were having at the time. So. Yeah. It had an impact. It did. It, it did. Yeah. So I'd love to jump back of how did you first become involved in millinery? Um, I studied, uh, I did a BA in fashion and textiles at Curtin in WA, moved to Melbourne 10 years ago. I didn't know specifically that I wanted to do millinery, but I'd always been quite interested in it. But I had, when I moved here, I was just, so bright eyed. And I, I just thought I want to work in fashion. I just really want to work in a creative industry. Um, I, my first job was in sales at Maya where I met Richard Nylon and I, he was running a course with, I think MFI the next year. So I enrolled in a one year course with him 
And as soon as I applied the knowledge that I had from my degree and kind of how I worked um, to millinery, the transition was so seamless. I just felt um, the way that I worked in millinery was more effective than in fashion design. I'd also always been really interested in lingerie construction and I focused on lingerie when I was in uni and the parallels between handmade lingerie and hats are not dissimilar. <laughs> Everything is round. <laughs> uh, everything's quite, well, for the way that I work, everything is quite intricate and there's a really kind of tactile handmade sensibility about kind of both processes. So, um, yeah, I kind of, I started making hats and I was like, oh, this is, this is good. I, I'm loving this. Before I moved, pardon me, before I moved to Melbourne, Voltrad Reiner had come to Perth and I did, well, must've been maybe 21, 22. Um, she did a three-day course and I um, attended that and I had no idea. Um, I knew, I had no idea what any of the materials were. I had hardly seen a hat block in my entire life. And by the end of day one, I was hooked. Like I had such, I had, it was such a beautiful and memorable um, weekend. And yeah, I think the, the process of making my first hat then was, yeah, it made a big impression on me. So when I came, when I came over here, I thought, oh, I think I might give that another go. So. And when you started making, you know hats for the first time did you feel you had quite a strong aesthetic already having your fashion degree background yeah or was that, I a think, that evolved yeah I think so I I had created an aesthetic of my own in fashion like when I was studying fashion and yeah that definitely uh that definitely came with me to millinery as well yeah. and from that course you did with Richard how did it evolve from there I kind of started applying myself uh, a lot more when I got a studio space um, maybe three years later. So I was just like, I was just having fun. Like I was just dabbling, but um, it was something that like brought me so much joy when I was, I was making hats. Um, yes. Yeah, so I applied myself when I got a studio space in Collingwood. Then I, popped into see Veltroud one day at Torben Reiner to buy a few bits and pieces. And she said, would you like a job? And I said, I would love one. Thank you. So then I worked at Torben Reiner for, which is now Millinery Hub um, for three, four years and going to work every day was so great. I, I loved it. I loved learning about the materials. I love learning about, um, the processes I loved that Vulture would come in every I love that she would always you know kind of say well you should do things this way this is the way that we do things no you know um that sort of thing so that was a huge learning curve for me and yeah something like a really lovely time in my life could you describe the aesthetic of your hats oh I don't that's a <laughs> interesting question um obviously with everyone's artistic practice or creative practice everything always evolves I really enjoy making quite bigger brimmed hats 
And I like it because I kind of see uh, wider brimmed hats as a canvas. So I, I like to apply a lot of the um, techniques that I maybe learned during my fashion and textiles course to hats, which is quite good fun. Um, but I do think I've got a quite a bit of a minimal, but a very feminine aesthetic. Um, it's a pretty experimental. Like you, you do things like you, you do paint um, effects splatters, if you will. And I think I've seen one of yours that's like a, it's uh, it was a natural hat, but you beaded maybe leopard kind of print oh, design like, yeah. onto it. I I like a lot of. I really love the idea of um, applying handwork to hats. Um, so I'm quite into embroidering bits and pieces. That hat was, um, now when you say like, how, when people say, how long does it take to make a hat? I would say that took way too long, <laughs> <laughs> way too long. But I, I embroidered, um, oh, it was about a 48 centimeter wide um, straw hat with, leopard spots with black embroidery through dmc thread um so that wasn't that was a very long process and i maybe did an hour or two each night for at least a couple of months you know i never kind of make a hat to go oh how can i what's the best profit margin like how can i find the best profit margin in this like it's kind of not really the approach that i take but it's something that i wanted to do and i was really happy with it when um when it was done I think, you know, to each, you know, it doesn't, um, making's an interesting process in that way because you are um, a creative and in this case um, it's a textile art as well when you're doing yeah. something like that. So it's about expressing your brand and your aesthetic, but also, you know, there's, and then there's also hats that you make because, you know, the profit margin's good as well. So it's, it's a different, it's a different game. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. And there's not kind of one starting and stopping point with everything. It's always, um, you know, a, a bit of a creative journey and what might not work in one piece will you can, you can kind of extrapolate the um, successful ideas and move them onto something else and, yeah. Um, do you make a collection each year? Um, I know you have a website that has um, sh showcases your your work on it do you make a collection each year or do you kind of have a constant flow of products that you're releasing how do you work that I um to answer your question uh in one sentence yes and no uh, <laughs> I do make a collection every year I make a collection for spring um and I think it's really interesting how differently everyone works but I like to about February, March, I'll start to, um, things are a little bit different this year and will be next year, but around February, March, I'll start to just collate ideas, um, colours, textures and, um, you know, inspiration could be like just absolutely anything. And I think that, that that's a really fun way of working is, I don't know, looking at, like a car, for example, or someone's t-shirt on the street or something like that. Um, and just seeing how, and just like building like a kind of um, uh, mental storyboard to move forward from there. So yeah, start about February, March. Um, and I like to 
uh, start one piece and then not finish it and then start another piece and not finish it. And then you've got 30 hats that need to get finished, but um, somehow it's looking okay. So um, that's generally how I like to work. So I never, like, I'm never a start and finish kind of a person. I, um, yeah, I like to make things as difficult for myself as possible, <laughs> panic around August and then really put my head down. <laughs> There's way more, there's far, far more efficient ways of working and I don't do it that way. <laughs> and do you shoot those hats to yourself or do you have a team that you work with too? Uh, I'm a one-man band for sure. But I also think that this is, um, you know, this is the interesting thing about starting off as a creative and then building a business. You are not just making, trying to make nice things, but you're also trying to... Um, you're creative, creative problem solving, but you are just ABC problem solving all of the time. And that's the kind of stuff that I have had to learn and teach myself and seek out. And, um, you know, you don't just start a business and the answers are, you know, in your lap. It's, it is really hard and it's really frustrating at times and it can be really exhausting, but it's really rewarding. You meet some amazing people and you become a part of this really special community. It's amazing. And you have your own studio space um, mm -hmm. that you work in. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Because that's quite something, that's quite special. Being a bit of a newbie to Melbourne, I've always lived in share houses and um, what have you. So the luxury of having a home studio is not something that I have quite got my hands on yet. But having said that, I have worked from two different studio spaces um, in Collingwood for the last eight years. Um, the first place that I worked from was an open plan with a bunch of uh, creatives. Um, uh, there were lots of girls about my age that were um, independent makers and designers as well. And what I learned from the people that I first shared with was so priceless. Um, I'm in a studio now, which is 20 metres away on the next street. <laughs> and actually, I've just moved into a bigger space this, this week. I had 10 square metres uh, as of this time last week, and now I have 20 square metres. You could not walk on my floor. Um, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was pretty bad. Um, so I have a big, beautiful, light, airy studio now. I have a pretty impressive shelving system for all of my stuff. I'm, I'm feeling um, feeling pretty good about my space at the moment. And so it's really nice to be able to go to and shut my door and put some podcasts on and just get to work. Absolutely. And what does, um, I'm going to say usual, but I understand we're in strange times, but um, maybe in, in, in a future dream scenario what does um a week in your business look like uh well every morning I I have to get up and do my admin and my emails first thing in the morning like I get up quite early and I go straight to my computer and yeah so I'll get all of those bits and pieces done um get them out the way uh if you get an email from me at three o'clock in the afternoon that is a rarity um <laughs> Then I will go to my studio. I work during the day in the same way that I'll kind of put a collection together. 
you know, work on one thing at once or one thing on another. Um, if I've got a deadline, which is not unusual, um, I'm pretty good at just going in, shutting the door and like, I, I won't come out for 12 hours, 14 hours and, until it's done. So yeah, and then I, I don't know, leave about six. I used to be much better at doing late nights. Um, I somehow, I don't know how I did it, but I would usually work until about midnight each night, but doesn't really, <laughs> doesn't really sound all that enticing anymore. So, yeah. <laughs> Um, and do you have clients come to your studio to purchase from you or how, how do, where do you sell your hats? Mostly through my website. Um, very rarely will people come to my studio. It's really not set up so much as um, a showroom. It's really more as a kind of a working studio space. Uh, most of my pieces I'll sell through my website or Instagram and post them out on the whole yeah and does that uh do you do custom orders or do you work just work from the stock that you have no the majority of sales that I make are from custom orders so it's it's quite a um it's a very one-on-one -on -one process um it's very custom um yeah I find I find that that's the best way to work and I like working that way um I really enjoy uh, working with a client to create something that's unique and is tailored to, um, you know, maybe their dress, the occasion, um, you know, their their style in general. Um, I find that that um, is the most rewarding. What's one of the favourite pieces you have made? Maybe not... Um, maybe not pieces, but things that I've worked on or things yeah. that I felt like a process that I felt most proud of. Um, I did a collection for the finale of Vamp a couple of years ago. And like, I love seeing my hats on. Um, I love seeing my hats at the races. I do. But it was so like um, baby fashion stuff. <laughs> when I saw my hats on the runway at Vamp um, was such a nice moment for me just seeing it in that um kind of catwalk context that was really great and um I did a collab I made the hats so I collaborated with Tony Matuszewski for um his showcase for vamp this year which was the night before Melbourne went into its first lockdown so that was great but that was really that was a really nice process um and um yeah, the, the mood boards that I got for that were really interesting and it was really fun to create something with uh, from inspiration that I would never usually look to. That's amazing. Oh, I think that's such a lovely little conclusion there. Thank you so much for chatting hats with me. It's been lovely to have you on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Lauren. Thank you for listening to this episode of Millinery Info with Stephanie. I'd like to thank our Patreon podcast sponsors, Be Unique Millinery, Hannah's Millinery Suppliers, the Millinery Association of Australia, Catherine Cherry Millinery, Hat Academy, The Essential Hat, Hat Atelier, Louise McDonald Milliner, That Millinery, House of Adorn, Lifted Millinery and Hat Mags.
You can find a link to each of their businesses in our show notes. That's either on your podcast app or through our website. We really appreciate their support, so check out these amazing businesses. You and your business could become a Patreon of Millinery Info. There are two tiers to select from. A podcast sponsor, which means your event or business is mentioned in our podcast. A link is included on our website and in the monthly newsletter. This starts from just $15 per month. We've recently introduced the supporter tier, which starts from $5. It's for those who might like to more quietly show their support so we can keep producing the content you see on Millinery Info. If you have any questions about coming a Patreon, I'd love to hear from you. Otherwise, you can visit www.patreon.com forward slash info to sign up. I'm your host, Lauren Ritchie. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. I look forward to talking hats with you again soon.